Okay, so on to Isaiah chapter 31. We've missed out quite a bit of Isaiah, so I do apologize about that. It might be hard to fix this in some kind of context. Um, but I'll just read through the text and then make some comments along the way. So this is Isaiah chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many and horsemen, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wiser and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. I'll pause there just to set the scene. Um, on the one hand, it sounds as if he's pronouncing judgment on Egypt. But if you look closely to verse 1, it's a woe on those who go down to Egypt, who go to this superpower, this huge nation, Egypt, for help. And it's talking about the kingdom of Judah. And at this point of time, Judah is under threat of another superpower of Assyria. And so it makes sense for them to get a big brother, someone who has firepower, who has numbers, uh, to kind of like form an alliance. And so God is saying, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, aren't you trusting in me? So essentially the argument is that Egypt, as powerful as they are, they're just uh, humanly strong. So he mentions their Egyptians are men, not God, verse 3, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. And the idea of the horses is talking about their military strength. So on the one hand, God is acknowledging that you know, they're strong. You know, they have um, military strength, but they're not God. And maybe what they should be looking for, Judah, what Judah should be looking for as they are now in this tension and this crisis is for spiritual help, for God's help. And especially if God is their God, why are they turning to another man, to another human to solve their seemingly human problem? And the surprising thing, well, this is surprising on one hand, but the most surprising thing is, it says that God will use this disaster to bring disaster, verse 2. And yet he, meaning God is wise, and brings the disaster. He does not call back his words. And so here is on the one hand, God warning them, don't do this, but he knows that they will. And because he knows that they will rebel against his word, rebel against his advice, and they will go and seek Egypt, he will actually use these events to cause the disaster that he's already planned. So such is God's sovereignty. You know, God is sovereign not just when things go well, but actually precisely when things go wrong, you know, this disaster, it's actually all in God's sovereign control. It's him bringing out this disaster, having warned them, don't do this, it will cause a disaster, but knowing that they will rebel against him 
and therefore God is actually using their rebellion against them. Let's pick up from verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, As a young, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill like birds hovering. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. So here God is equated with this lion that doesn't care that all these shepherds are shouting at him and coming at him maybe with sticks and stuff. He's a lion. <laughs> he can take them. The shepherds should be afraid of him. And so in the same way, you know, as all these Assyrian forces come to attack Jerusalem, God is not afraid of them. You know, God will destroy them and God is, is not worried about these problems that they're worried about. And here then is the flip side of that initial disaster that said that God said will he will cause to bring upon them. So God, yes, will actually orchestrate it such that they will be attacked. But here it's because God will then protect them. God is the one who will defend them because God isn't afraid of any of these enemy forces, any of these nations, any of these superpowers. Because again, like a lion, to them, you know, to the lion, to God, you know, they're just helpless shepherds. You're shouting, making lots of noise, but God himself will come down. There's that uh, phrase, verse 4, the Lord of hosts will come down as if like descending either from heaven or from his, from, from his mountain. So to fight, fight on Mount Zion and on its hill, he'll come down and he will place himself, perch himself on Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem, in Judah. And so he will come down and fight their their battles for them. And this is parallel, I think, to verse 1, those who go down to Egypt. So Judah is going down to Egypt, but God is coming down to fight their fights for them. So, yeah, there's a parallel in that, those two actions. Verse 6, Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him, and he shall flee from the sword. And his young men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. So, um, just moving from, in reverse, from, from, from verse 9, 8, and 7, and 6, so we're going from the back to front, uh, he starts with the defeat of Assyria. So they're so worried about this attack from this nation. God says they will be destroyed, but they will be destroyed not by man. You know, they're not, they'll fall by a sword, yes, but it's not a human sword. It's a sword that is not of man that will devour them, meaning it's a spiritual 
battle. All they see is just the human level, you know, aggression, and therefore they're trying to deal with it at a human level. So Israel is caught in between. You know, there's this attacker, so they find a big brother. There s this human threat, so they find human help uh, in the form of Egypt. And before we are too quick to condemn Judah for finding help or for, you know, losing hope in God so easily. You know, you just have to think of any kind of human problems that we have. You know, you have a health problem, you find the best doctor. You have a um, money problem, you try to find the richest friend. And it's that kind of thing. It never occurs to us that all these physical, relational, you know, human problems are given to us by God to deal with a deeper spiritual problem inside of us. And therefore, when you move on from the back to the front to verse 6, The spiritual problem is idolatry. Idolatry. So, this is the key verse in this chapter. Turn to him from people have, from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel, for in that day everyone shall cast away his idols. And these idols are made of silver, of gold, and they've made it themselves, these, 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 these statues that they've called their gods. And they've actually put their trust in. So, on the one hand, these are just things, you know, things that you trust in. I trust in you, and therefore you give me this fulfillment, this security, this, this sense of being because I'm worshiping this thing and not God. But on the other hand, it's a shadow of what they're doing with Egypt as well. You know, they're trusting in another human being and putting all their trust where we should go to God, but they're putting it in another person. Which you go to God, but they're putting it in a thing. They're putting it in an idol that their hands have made. And so, at the center of this chapter is essentially the definition of idolatry. Idolatry can look like these statues of gold and silver that you can craft and make with your hands. But as you expand the the idea in this problem in in this chapter. I, idols can be in, in form of this, well, influencer type hero that we look up to to save us from our troubles. Someone whom we think is bigger than us, more stronger than us, that we would like to lean on for help, but not God. Or idols can be something that threaten us. You know that that you know, like Assyria. You know this this stronger person again, but it's threatening us. And therefore, it's pushing us in a certain direction, but not towards God, but away from God as well. And so, you see, idols kind of keep keep away from God the devotion, the trust, the hope that should go to God alone. And whether it's to a statue, you know, you go to something, or it can be in another human human kind of character, someone who is strong, who is powerful, who is rich, that kind of thing. And all this is happening, you know. This battle, this political crisis, is happening so that Israel will realize that ultimately what they've done is they've turned away from God. And if only they would turn back to God, they would realize that God will help them. God would save them. Again, the call in verse six is turn to Him, the one whom the people have deeply revolted, the one whom they've rejected, the one whom they've turned away from. That's the person they should turn back to. That's the idea of repentance. Repentance is that turning, turning away from idols, and turning to serve the one and only true God. And that's Isaiah chapter thirty-one. Yeah, um, 
worth thinking, you know, what is perhaps the biggest problem that you're facing now? And therefore, what's the biggest solution to that problem that you're, that you're going to put all your hopes in? You know, COVID, therefore vaccine. And it makes sense. You know, cancer and again, some kind of chemotherapy. Or a money problem, you know, find an investor or some kind of help from a rich relative. But at some point of time, every disaster, every kind of crisis is given, us, given to us to see that our help and our problem is altogether spiritual, that there is a God who offers us that salvation, that offers us that forgiveness if only we would turn back to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you humble us with your words. You remind us of how we've rebelled against you and turned away from you again and again. And if only we would see how you hold salvation and blessing and goodness in your hands. If only we could see that, we would realize how silly it is not to turn back to you, to cry out to you, to pray to you, and to ask for your help. Thank you that you continue to speak to us this offer of salvation through the gospel, through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died once for all for our sins, that the way has been opened to come back to you, that as we do, we will find forgiveness, we will find reconciliation, we will find open arms into your presence such that we might be called your children once again. We thank you, we praise you, give you all glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show, looking at Isaiah chapter 31. It is Sunday, the 30th of May. See you in the next episode. Goodbye and God bless.